chapter eight of dutch and english on the hudson by maud wilder goodwin this librivox recording is in the public domain the early english governors the english government was fortunate in its first representative after the surrender of stuyvesant colonel richard nichols who had enforced the surrender with all the energy of a soldier afterward displayed all the tact and wisdom of a statesman it is true that the towns and forts were rechristened and new amsterdam fort amsterdam and fort orange became respectively new york fort james and albany in honor of the king's brother james duke of york and albany to whom as lord proprietor the new english province was now granted but the dutch were not interfered with in their homes their holdings or their religion and for nearly a year the city government at new amsterdam went on as of old under the control of burgomasters schepens and schouts in the following year nichols according to instructions from the duke of york abolished the form of government late in practice appointed a mayor alderman and a sheriff to rule new york and directed the new officials to swear allegiance to the duke he continued the commercial rights of the freemen who represented the burghers of the dutch period and he also introduced trial by jury which placated the dwellers at new york and along the hudson on long island and in westchester where new englanders had settled nichols proceeded with greater vigor this section together with staten island was erected into the district of yorkshire where the duke's laws were proclaimed and the machinery of english county government was put in operation with its three writings its courts of sessions and its court of assizes yorkshire soon had an unmistakable english character even though dutch inhabitants were numerous in western long island and in staten island the duke's laws were compiled mainly from the laws of the new england colonies though they departed in many particulars from new england traditions in the dutch towns shouts and shepherds gave place to overseers and constables the characteristic form of town government in the province was that in which freeholders elected a board of eight overseers and a constable for one year little by little english law and english institutions were to crowd out dutch law and dutch political institutions in the conquered province by his wise policy his magnetic personality his scholarly tastes and his social geniality nichols seems to have won all hearts maverick his colleague wrote lord arlington that it was wonderful how this man could harmonize things in a world so full of strife entrusted by the duke of york with practically unlimited power he used it with the utmost discretion and for the good of the province when he resigned his post after four years of service new york was deeply regretful over his departure and cornelis steenwick the dutch mayor of the city 
gave a farewell banquet in his honour his successor colonel francis lovelace was a favourite at court and a gallant cavalier who had been loyal to the king throughout his adversity with far less ability than nicholls lovelace was at one with him in desire to benefit and unify the colony he established a club where english french and dutch were spoken and he offered prizes to be run for on the long island race-course under his rule shipping increased and trade flourished merchants began to hold weekly meetings thus laying the foundations of the merchants exchange but his most notable achievement was the establishment of the first mail service on the american continent in spite of all the sea commerce and trading up and down the river by sloops pinks flyboats catches and canoes the colonies of new york and new england demanded swifter and more frequent means of communication and governor lovelace began to consider how the bonds could be drawn closer in sixteen seventy one one john archer bought part of van der donck's old estate and built a village near unto the passage commonly called spiting devil on the road for passengers to go to and fro from the main as well as for mutual intercourse with the neighbouring colony lovelace consented to make the village an enfranchised town by the name of fordham manor provided its inhabitants should forward to the next town all public packets and letters coming to or going from new york the scheme evidently proved a success for lovelace shortly decided on a wider extension of communication and the year sixteen seventy three was celebrated by the setting out of the first post between new york and new england it was to have started on new year's day but was delayed by waiting for news from albany on the arrival of communications from albany the carrier was sworn into office instructed to behave civilly to inquire of the new england authorities as to the best post-road and to mark it for the benefit of other travellers the message which lovelace sent to governor winthrop of massachusetts on this occasion ran as follows i here present you with two rarities a packet of the latest intelligence i could meet withal and a post by the first you will see what has been acted on the stage of europe by the latter you will meet with a monthly fresh supply so that if it received but the same ardent inclinations from you as at first it hath from myself by our monthly advices all public occurrences may be transmitted between us together with several other great conveniencies of public importance consonant to the commands laid upon us by his sacred majesty who strictly enjoins all his american subjects to enter into a close correspondency with each other this i look upon as the most compendious means to beget a mutual understanding and that it may receive all the countenance from you for its future duration i shall acquaint you with the model i have proposed and if you please but to make an addition to it or a subtraction or any other alteration i shall be ready to comply with you this person that has undertaken the employment i conceive most proper being both active stout and indefatigable he is sworn as to his fidelity 
i have a fixed and annual salary on him which together with the advantage of his letters and other small portable packs may afford him a handsome livelihood hartford is the first stage i have designed him to change his horse where constantly i expect he should have a fresh one lie all the letters outward shall be delivered gratis with a signification of post paid on the superscription and reciprocally we expect all to us free each first monday of the month he sets out from new york and is to return within the month from boston to us again the mail has divers bags according to the towns the letters are designed to which are all sealed up till their arrival with the scale of the secretary's office whose care it is on saturday night to seal them up only by letters are in an open bag to disperse by the ways thus you see the scheme i have drawn to promote a happy correspondence i shall only beg of you your furtherance to so universal a good work by trail road and waterway the colonists were thus drawing nearer to each other and steadily increasing their facilities for trade when all was interrupted by the reassertion of dutch sovereignty and the reconquest of the english colony by the dutch under much the same circumstances as had marked the surrender of stuyvesant in sixteen sixty four the old habit of unpreparedness survived under the english as under the dutch and the third war between england and holland begun in sixteen seventy two and ended in sixteen seventy four found the strategic points on the hudson again unprotected one august day in sixteen seventy three a powerful dutch fleet appeared off staten island on the next day it sailed up through the narrows and manhattan saw a repetition with a difference of the scene of sixteen sixty four after a brief exchange of volleys between the strong fleet and the weak fortress the garrison recognized that resistance was hopeless new york surrendered to admiral evertson and the flag of the dutch republic floated once more over the fortress which changed its name to fort willem hendrick while new york became new orange governor lovelace was absent from the city at the moment and the blame of the surrender fell upon manning a subordinate who was tried for neglect of duty cowardice and treachery his sword was broken over his head and he was pronounced ineligible for any office of trust but no governor could have saved the situation as nothing was ready for defence when the dutch took possession captain anthony kolb was appointed governor he proceeded with energy to put the fort into condition for defence and for a time it seemed as if the dutch might at last hold their rich heritage along the hudson at the close of hostilities however a treaty which was signed at westminster in february sixteen seventy four and proclaimed at the city hall of new orange in july of the same year stipulated that new netherland should again become an english province thus for the third time a national flag was lowered at the fort on manhattan island without serious effort at opposition the treaty did not restore new york to the duke whose name it bore but handed it over directly to charles the second who however again granted it to his brother james edmund andros a major in prince rupert's regiment of dragoons was sent out to take control of the province which had now changed hands for the last time 
his character was probably neither so white nor so black as it has been painted but it is certain that he lacked the tact of nichols and he brought to his task the habits of a soldier rather than an administrator he never succeeded in winning the complete confidence of the people from the beginning andros showed himself hostile to popular liberty and loyal to the interests of his patron as he saw them but the difficulties of his position it must be admitted were very great james duke of york brother of charles the second and in the absence of legitimate children of the king the heir to the throne had as we have seen been granted all rights in the conquered territory of new netherland in sixteen sixty four part of this territory he promptly gave to two court favourites lord berkeley and sir george Carteret. the sagacious nichols protested that this partition which surrendered to a divided ownership the rich lands of new jersey so called in honour of Carteret's gallant defence of the island of jersey during the civil wars was a menace to the well-being of new york his warning which might not have been heeded in any case did not reach england until the transfer was completed with the dutch occupation all titles were cancelled but under the new treaty james although by this time thoroughly informed of the complications involved with the usual fatuity of the stuarts now made a grant of the eastern part of new jersey to Carteret in severally taking no notice of the western part which berkeley had already sold for the sum of a thousand pounds by this grant to carteret many questions were at once raised was sir george carteret a lord proprietor like the duke himself responsible only to the king or was he only a lord of the manor responsible to his master the duke was east jersey a part of new york or was it an independent province as usual the importance of the questions was based on commercial considerations if new jersey were a separate entity then it might trade directly with england if it were dependent on new york it could trade only by permission of the duke's representative philip Carteret, a kinsman of sir george whom the latter had appointed governor of his share of new jersey and who went to america in the same ship as andros in sixteen seventy four determined to test the matter by declaring elizabeth town a free port while andros demanded that all ships bound to or from any port in the original new netherland must enter and clear at new york with equal pertinacity andros asserted the duke's authority in west jersey hailing fenwick one of the claimants under the original grant of sixteen seventy four to court in new york fenwick's land titles however were sustained and andros then released him upon his explicit promise that he would not meddle with the government of west jersey taking advantage of the death of sir george Carteret in sixteen eighty andros next arrested and imprisoned governor philip Carteret on the ground that he now had no authority and then himself assumed the governorship of east jersey but Carteret was acquitted the assembly of east jersey sustained their governor and the towns refused to submit meanwhile charges of corruption had been brought against andros in new york where his imperious manner and arbitrary conduct had made enemies he was recalled to england in sixteen eighty one to answer these charges and in consequence of the disaffection which he had stirred up he was removed from office colonel thomas dongan the governor chosen to succeed andros was a younger son of an irish baronet and a roman catholic the laws of england forbade a catholic to hold office in that country but there was not the same barrier in the province subject to a lord proprietor james being of the catholic faith 
was therefore glad to appoint people of that religion in the new world realizing however that the feeling against catholicism was strong in the colony the duke gilded the pill by granting more liberal laws and a more popular form of government than had previously been permitted at the time of his appointment dongan received instructions from the duke of york to call a representative assembly of not more than eighteen members to be chosen by the freeholders of the province this assembly met in october sixteen eighty three and passed some fifteen laws the first and most memorable of which was the so-called charter of liberties and privileges the most notable provisions of the charter were those establishing the principles of popular representation and religious liberty and those reciting the guarantees of civil rights familiar to all englishmen before this charter could be finally ratified by the duke of york charles the second died from a stroke of apoplexy and james became king after fifteen minutes in his closet where he had retired to give full scope to his tears he emerged to work for three years his bigoted will on the affairs of the realm james the king took a different view of many things from james the duke the status of new york was similarly changed from a ducal proprietorship to a royal province the new charter recognized a lord proprietor but that lord proprietor had now become king of england and this king found some of the enactments of the charter so objectionable to his majesty that he disallowed the charter moreover james did away with the assembly which he had previously allowed to be summoned but the seed of popular government had been planted in the western hemisphere and within the next century it was ripe for the harvesting in sixteen eighty eight new york and new jersey were united with the eastern colonies under title of the dominion of new england and sir edmund andros was appointed governor-general of a territory of imperial dimensions but the year of his arrival in new york marked the departure of his royal master from england bigotry and tyranny had overshot the mark and the english people had determined to dethrone james on the invitation of the protestant nobility james's son-in-law william of orange landed at torbay in november sixteen eighty eight and rapidly won popular support after beginning negotiations with him james became alarmed and took flight to france at the close of the year william of orange and his wife james's daughter mary then became king and queen of england february thirteenth sixteen eighty nine and new york once more passed under the control of a dutch sovereign End of chapter eight